Welcome to Village Mentality, where melanated people are connected in spirit, love, and community. What's up, kings and queens, beautiful people everywhere? It's your girl, C.K. McGee, and I am your host. Welcome to another episode of Village Mentality. How's everybody doing out there? You know, I notice that a lot of times when I ask people this question, there is a tendency for that question to go unanswered. And I've been told that it's because usually people do not feel that the person that's asking actually cares. Well, I do. And I pray that you are all doing as well as you can be. So for those of you who have been rocking with me since the beginning of the show, you know that I like to take a little bit of time to talk about some things, whether it's current events, entertainment, or something that's just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called Let's Talk About It. First up, January is National Mental Wellness Month, not to be confused with Mental Health Month, which is in May. But when we think about mental wellness, um, you know, we're really just talking about the kinds of things that you can do to take care of your mind, you know, positive talk, positive thinking, positive actions, removing toxic situations, people environments out of your life and really practicing forms of self-care that speaks to your mental health and just as our physical health you know how you go to the gym you drink lots of water you wash what you eat we also have to pay that kind of attention when it comes to our minds so throughout the month if you check out my personal page, which is PurpleDiva72 on Instagram, you'll see different um, suggestions in order for us to uh, take care of our mental wellness. Um, and it's really important that it does not go ignored because it is a part of our overall health. So what have you guys done for yourself that was special today? If you haven't, you've still got time. Any time is the right time to take a moment to provide yourself with some self-care. Because contrary to what people think, self-care isn't selfish, it's necessary. Now, hip-hop icon, actor, and filmmaker Ice Cube, also known as O'Shea Jackson, created the contract with Black America. Have you guys heard of it? Have you had an opportunity to read it? I have. It's about a 22, 23 page document that he created in light of the murder of George Floyd last year in May. And so I believe it was created sometime around August of last year. Uh, it was supposed to be just before the elections. And, um, you know, Ice Cube got a lot of uh, pushback from the community because, uh, you know, they heard him talking about 45 and wanting to have a meeting with him and others who could you know, go over this contract. 
And a lot of people thought, oh, why would he want to do that? Oh my God. But <laughs> I had an opportunity to listen to him on a couple of different platforms. And basically he was interested in meeting with anyone who was willing to read the contract and to you know, pay attention to the things that we as a community of color um, are you know, concerned about, the issues that we're concerned about. I encourage you, if you have not had the opportunity to read the contract, to please go ahead and do it. Now, I'm gonna read a little bit of it um, for you so you can kind of get an idea about it. Um, it says it was written in the backdrop, as I mentioned, after the killing of George Floyd, which set off a wave of protests not seen since the civil rights era of the 1950s and 60s. And of course, we're dealing with a global pandemic at the same time in which the black mortality rate is more than double the white rate. And in which 45%, nearly half of the black owned businesses closed. That impact of something presumably random, such as a pandemic, however catastrophic, can be so linked to one's racial identity it's highly problematic and further evidence that as a nation, we are failing miserably. This links to a larger political and economic vulnerability, whether we're in a pandemic or not. The immoral devaluation of black lives has been ingrained in America's political economy and is long overdue for a reckoning. Mm. And I can just tell you that, you know, basically he's addressing Issues like racial inequality, um, you know, he's he's really um, building a case for what they call these days the neo reconstruction, and he basically goes into detail as to what that means, what that looks like, and um, you know, you're talking about different things like um, the bank lending and finance reform. Um, you're talking about judicial and public policy reform. Obviously, police brutality is included in there. The constitutional amendment codifying expansion of the 13th Amendment by the courts. Um, he covers a great deal of things. And as I said, I definitely encourage you guys to take a look at it um, because it's very in-depth and it's very specific about what it is that he's asking for. And if nothing else, even if uh, no one before the election uh, signed on, so to speak, this is definitely good for us to read throughout the African diaspora because I think that it will help us, um, or we can use it as a guide, I should say, right? When we're thinking about you know, um, politics, uh, because you know what, whether we like it or not, whether we're involved or not, I think we're learning slowly but surely the impact that it has on our lives and that our involvement is downright necessary. We have to take collective responsibility and get involved and you know, figure out who the best choices are for us. Not just taking the word of said politician in any of their advertisements or because they might look friendly or whatever the case, but to really do the research and figure out who it is we feel best will represent our agenda and who can be held accountable to see to it um, that it comes to fruition. So economics, calculation metrics, I mean, he goes into it all. And so again, if you haven't read it, please do because it is definitely 
an important document to at least make yourselves familiar with as I have done. I even sent it to my mom. Wanted her to be in the know too. So moving on from that, um, if you guys have been following since like last season, you know that I'm a fan of Red Table Talk with Jada, Gammy, and Willow Smith. And I just love, you know, how they bring people to the table, all walks of life, different backgrounds, experiences. And, you know, some of those conversations at the Red Table are just so very enlightening. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where you're able to really, um, it resonates with you because maybe there's something that you're going, that you're dealing with, excuse me, in your life. Um, that's similar. So it's just really down to earth, non-judgmental, non-critical, but, you know, they keep it a buck and we definitely can't, you know, be mad with that, but they do it in a very compassionate and empathetic way. You know, um, everybody has experiences, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent, and uh, no one should ever feel like they can't come and work out things, even if they've made mistakes. Uh, and so in this particular episode that I'm referring to, Will Smith commandeered the red table um, in this episode. Um, if you guys are aware, and if you ever watched the show back in the day, because I know I did, but the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, we know that the original Aunt Viv, who was played by Jenna, um, excuse me, her, Hubert, <laughs> Hubert, and Will Smith um, had some static. There was definitely some smoke between them. And uh, it's taken all of these years before they've had the opportunity to sit down with one another and, and talk it out. And so um, that, blood, that bad blood between Will and Janet resulted actually in the character of Aunt Viv being recasted and it was eventually played by Daphne, Daphne Maxwell Reed. Now, personally, you guys, I liked the original Aunt Viv. Do you guys remember the episode where she decided she wanted some me time and she went and, go, and took a dance class? <laughs> At first, that dance class was whooping her tail, honey. But she came back with a vengeance and she did the dang thing. That routine that she was having a hard time with, she slayed. I'm sure you can probably go on like YouTube or something and see it because she slayed. That's one of my favorite episodes. And so I missed her, uh, you know, never knew what was going on. But now everybody was coming together for the reunion. Most notably absent was um, Alfonso Ribeiro. And then of course, uh, the late James Avery who portrayed Uncle Phil, rest in peace, King. But um, they were able to talk about what happened and Will had an opportunity to kind of explain because she wanted to know why he basically ruined her career. Let's just call a spade a spade. He did a lot of, you know, talk uh, about her. Um, and as a result of, her, of his talking, of his bad mouthing her, of his really not knowing anything about her other than the fact that she was a <clears throat> professionally classically trained, you know, actress, went to Juilliard, all of these accomplishments that she had. Um, he did not understand the ramifications of how he was talking. You know, she was 34 years old. He was a lot younger. 
And there were things that were going on in her personal life that no one knew about at that time. She was in an abusive relationship. She had just had a baby. She was actually the breadwinner in her family. So his disparaging remarks about her all around town, it cost her career because she was then typed as the angry black woman. And you all know, they always wanna put that title on us, right? Whenever we have an opinion about something or if we don't agree with something that's going on, he was like a clown. He was a class clown. He always cracked jokes and she didn't always think he was funny. So he didn't really appreciate that. And, you know, <sighs> he did some damage. One of the things that was really good to see, though, was that he was at least able to kind of sit there. He explained himself, but he also listened and was able to, you know, grasp the enormity of, of what his um, talk about her did. So I was actually happy to see her again. She looks really good. And, you know, she's uh, no longer involved in the nightmare of a relationship that she was involved with all those years ago. And, you know, um, prayerfully, uh, she will be able to, you know, something will be able to, something good will be able to come out of this because she also retaliated. She also didn't say nice things as well, you know, um, but again, hurt people hurt people. And so um, I appreciated that opportunity for uh, some healing. Now, I know that you guys had to have seen the news lately where implicit bias and racism was at work again. Yep, I'm talking about that that woman. I, I wanted to say a white woman, but we found out later that she's like half Puerto Rican, half Vietnamese. They call her Soho Karen, but her name is Maya Ponsetto, 22-year-old from California, who accused the Black teen of taking her iPhone in a hotel in Soho, which is a section in New York City called the Arlo Hotel. Now, mind you guys, her phone was later returned by the damn Lyft driver. That's where she left it. Now, <clears throat> she assaulted the teen and his father right there in the lobby. The tape will show it. Nothing can be said, you know, like, oh my goodness, you know, the father was overreacting. Oh, wow. No, it's right there in black and white. And you were able to see once again, a woman who appears to be white, let's just say that, because initially that's what you thought when you looked at the uh, video, was able to just come into the hotel and just point a finger and accuse this innocent young 14 year old kid who was enjoying the day with his father, who happens to be a famous jazz musician, a Grammy award winning jazz musician, and they were going about their business to have brunch. And she came in there like she was ready to play football because she tackled the kid, going through his pockets, just bent on believing that he had her phone and she wouldn't hear of anything else. Management, security, did nothing to de-escalate the situation, but the manager on duty actually approached the kid and was like, you know what, let's see the phone. This right here is so dangerous a thing that has been happening to black men for centuries, for centuries. We just heard last year about Central Park Karen 
and how she wanted to call the cops on a black man, a bird watcher, who simply made a small request of her. I don't know if it was to, to have the dog on a leash, maybe why wasn't she wearing her mask, you know, something like that. She actually called 911 and told him he was going to tell them he was threatening her life. White women have been doing this to black men for centuries. Has anyone ever heard of Emmett Till? Yeah, I have to keep bringing that name up because that was one of the biggest reasons that started the civil rights movement. White women know that they have a certain privilege and every single time they will always use it to their benefit. Believe that, okay? Believe it. And there never seems to be any thought for the life or the lives that they are putting in danger as a result. The family, along with Benjamin Crump and Al Sharpton, were calling for the NYPD to bring charges against this woman. They wanted it to be considered a hate crime. NYPD was slow, dragging their feet. But eventually, through all the pressure, she was arrested in California. So she's facing, facing charges of third-degree attempted robbery, grand larceny, and acting in a manner injurious to a child, and also two counts of attempted assault. On a side note, did you guys see her when she was being interviewed by Gail King? Hmm. She was so disrespectful. You know, she made it seem like she just couldn't possibly understand what was going on. How is it that just because she was asking about her phone, that meant she was being a racist? And that's when she brings up the fact that she's half Puerto Rican and, and half Vietnamese. So she can't possibly be racist, you know, toward Black people. Why, why would that be? Huh? Well, when Gail went to go and kind of point the reel out to her, Missy didn't like that too much. Yeah, she didn't like it. She even said, oh, enough, Gail like she was talking to a child. Even her attorney kind of side-eyed her for a second, like, girl, what's, what's wrong with you? Now we're hearing reports that she's, you know, emotionally not unwell and all of these, I'm sorry, excuses to keep her from taking responsibility, but it's okay. Cause New York went and got her, it came for her. And so here she is being charged and we'll see, um, you know, we'll see what, what happens now. Um, the arrest in California, it did come like a week after the pressure, as I said, right? And officials with both the Ventura County Sheriff's Office and the New York Police Department noted that it is not uncommon for authorities to cooperate when a person facing charges has fled to another state. Now, when they got to her, oh, she didn't go quietly. She wasn't cooperating. Mm -mm. No, no, she had major attitude. But she didn't understand that no matter how much attitude you have, honey, <laughs> you're going to answer for what you did. Enough is enough. And so that brings us to our first song. You know, I'm feeling an 80s vibe right about now. I told y'all last week, you never know what I'm going to play. I'm a big fan of music from the 80s, 80s soft rock. Oh, yes. And this artist right here has one of the classic songs of all time. 
It's Mr. Phil Collins with In the Air tonight. And when we come back, I will get into today's topic. So you could 
Okay, so today we're gonna to be talking about COVID-19 testing and vaccinations. So first, let's talk about the types of testing uh, that's available for COVID-19, for those of you who may not know. <clears throat> now, there are two kinds of tests. There's a viral test that can tell you if you currently are infected with COVID-19. And then there is the antibody test, which checks for past infection. So you wonder, what are the considerations for who should get tested? Well, people who have symptoms of COVID-19. Now, the symptoms can, you know, COVID can affect uh, people, excuse me, in different ways. But some of the reported symptoms are fever, chills, cough, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, fatigue, muscle aches, loss of taste or smell, etc. So depending on how it impacts you, you know, you may experience some of those, you may experience all of those symptoms, or you might experience some others that we're not aware of. And definitely you should keep an eye on that if you're not feeling well. Also, people who have had close contact within six feet of an infected person for a total of 15 minutes or more with someone who definitely has been confirmed with COVID-19, yeah, you probably wanna go get tested. And people who have been asked or referred to get testing by their healthcare provider or state health department. So those are some of the considerations as to why you should get tested. Now, not everyone needs to be tested. So if you do get tested, you should self-quarantine, isolate at home, pending your test results, and follow the advice of your healthcare provider or public health professional. So once you take a viral test, what should you do? Well, to get your test result, you need to check with the group that performed your test, such as your healthcare provider or the health department. How long it takes to get your test, it, it really depends on the test that was used. Now, if you test positive for COVID-19, know what protective steps that you need to take. Sick. Most people have mild symptoms of COVID and they can recover at home without medical care, but you still need to contact your healthcare provider if your symptoms are getting worse or if you have questions about your health. If you test negative for COVID, you probably were not infected at the time your sample was collected, but this does not exactly mean that you won't get sick. Now, a negative test result only means that you did not have COVID-19 at the time of testing or that your sample was collected too early in your infection. You could also be exposed to COVID-19 after the test and then get infected and spread the virus to others. So if you have symptoms later, you may need another test to determine if you are infected with the virus. Now, when you're testing for past infections, that's what the antibody test uh, checks for. It checks your blood by looking for antibodies which may tell you if you've had a past infection with the virus that causes COVID-19. Antibodies are proteins that help fight off infections and can provide protection against getting that disease again, called immunity. Now, antibodies are disease specific. For example, measles, those antibodies will protect you from getting measles if you're exposed to it again, but they will not protect you from getting mumps if you get exposed to mold, get it? Now, antibody tests should not be used to diagnose a current COVID infection. 
except in instances in which viral testing is delayed. An antibody test may not show if you have a current COVID infection because it can take one to three weeks after the infection for your body to make antibodies. So you definitely wanna make sure to get that viral test if you suspect you may have uh, symptoms of COVID or that you were exposed to someone who is a confirmed, um, who has a confirmed case of COVID. Now, whether you test positive or negative for COVID on a viral or antibody test, you should still take the necessary steps to protect yourself and others. Social distancing, wearing masks, washing your hands, hand sanitizer, please and thank you. We do not know how much protection or immunity antibodies to the virus might provide against getting infected again. You know, this is still sort of like, a, we're still learning as we go. So confirmed and suspected cases of reinfection have been reported, but they remain rare. Scientists are working to understand that. So antibody tests for COVID are available through healthcare providers and laboratories. So check with your healthcare provider to see if they offer antibody tests and whether you should get one. So you're probably wondering after you've done all this testing, you know, what does it mean if you test positive for the, you know, with the antibody test? So a positive uh, result shows that you have antibodies from an infection with the virus that causes COVID. However, there is a chance that a positive result means that you have antibodies from an infection with a different virus from the same family of viruses called coronaviruses. Aha, did you hear what I said? Mm. So you gotta like be careful and pay attention to what your results are saying because it might not be COVID-19, but it might be another type of coronavirus. And coronaviruses have been around for like ever your Lysol cans, well, if you can get any, cause I can't, but check your Lysol cans. It'll say in the back of them, it'll talk to you about coronaviruses. That's not brand new people. It's always been there. We just didn't pay attention to it because you know, when you take things for granted, you kind of overlook things, but it's been there. It's been there for a while. Other coronaviruses cannot produce a positive result on a viral test. So if it was SARS, for instance, Okay, now SARS is severe and it's, a, it's, it's an acute respiratory uh, syndrome. It's the coronavirus too. So SARS would be a horse of a different color if you had that is what they're saying. So having antibodies to the virus that causes COVID may provide protection from getting infected with the virus again. But even if it does, we do not know how much protection the antibodies may provide or how long this protection may last. Confirmed and suspected cases of reinfection, again, have been reported, but they do remain rare. Let's keep it that way, shall we? So talk with your healthcare provider about your test result and the type of test you took to understand what your result means. Your provider may suggest you take a second type of antibody test to see if the first test was accurate. Again, continue to protect yourself and others. Probably gonna keep saying that because we can't say it enough, obviously. <laughs> now, if you work in a job where you wear personal protective equipment or PPE, continue wearing it. You may test positive for antibodies even if you have never had symptoms of COVID-19. 
Okay, so this can happen if you had an infection without symptoms, which is called an asymptomatic infection. All right. Now, what does it mean if you test negative? You may not have ever had COVID-19, but you still need to talk to your healthcare provider about your test results and the type of test that you took to understand what your result means. You could have a current infection or been recently infected. Now the test may be negative because it typically takes one to three weeks after an infection has left your body in order for antibodies to be produced. Now it's possible that you could still get sick if you've been exposed to the virus recently. This means you could still spread the virus. Some people may take even longer to develop antibodies and some people who are infected may not ever develop them. So you have all these moving parts so I guess what's really important to understand here is that you need to speak to your health care provider and allow them to help you navigate through this so that you have a better understanding of how to proceed and what it all means for you. If you get symptoms after the antibody test, you might need another one, which would be the viral test. And the viral test will identify the virus in samples from your respiratory system, such as a swab from the inside of your nose. Regardless of whether you test positive or negative, the results do not confirm whether you are able to spread the virus that causes COVID-19. So until we know more, continue to take those steps to do what? Protect yourself and others. Yes. So learn more about using antibody tests um, to look for past infections. We Google everything. We can definitely Google that too. So I know that this is a lot of information. So why don't we take another break and check in with my musical jukebox. Now, when they said that music soothes the savage beast, that was so true. But I also believe that it is a mood indicator. And this song in my mind has a lot more to it than just relationships and heartbreak. But I believe that if you get knocked down, by obstacles in your life, this song right here makes me feel encouraged. And it's a classic, honey. It's a classic hit to boot. So let's see if you can get into the state of mind that I'm in. I hope that you can pick up what I'm about to put down because it's Gloria Gaynor with I Will Survive.
See, what did I tell you? You know, you if you think about it, right, you have probably, if you just sit down and think about it, overcome more in your life than you realize, because by God's grace, we are strong. And now don't get it twisted. Life is hard. And we all go through trials and tribulations. But remember, you are still standing. And as a matter of fact, so am I. So all right, let's get back to it, beautiful people. Now, a few weeks ago, there was a town hall meeting on CNN regarding COVID-19 vaccinations. This discussion was focused on those of us who have what they call vaccine hesitancy or resistance. This feeling of hesitancy is extremely strong within the African-American community. And so as a result, diverse participants were a part of the trials for the vaccines. Now, there may be some out there that may not understand why there is such a strong resistance to vaccinations particularly from a group that was disproportionately impacted by this virus. You know, so you would think, oh, we want to hurry up and get the vaccine and we want to get all better. Mm. Just hold on a second. Let me give you uh, some statistics and then I will explain. So Native or Indigenous people who have died in connection with COVID-19 were 2.6 times more likely to do so, to die, than white people. Black and Latinx people were dying at a rate of 2.8 times that of white people. And Latinx people make up about 18% of the U.S. population. But they made up 33% of this nation's COVID-19 cases. And that's according to the American Medical Association. Surgeon General Jerome Adams, a Black man, is working with celebrities like Steve Harvey and faith, lead, faith healers like uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes to help encourage communities of color to take the vaccine. While we have a historical reason for our hesitancy, we have to keep in mind that we are dying at a higher rate. Now, why you ask, is there such a strong resistance to get the vaccine by black people? <sighs> All right, here goes. Have you guys ever heard of the Tuskegee syphilis study? Well, if you haven't, then I'm about to school you. And if you know about it already, then just follow along. Because despite what we may already know, there's always an opportunity to learn something more. Now, the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male was an unethical natural history study conducted between 1932 and 1972 by the United States Public Health Service and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Ding, 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 sound familiar? The CDC, hmm, heavily involved with COVID-19, weren't they? The purpose of the study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis, untreated syphilis. The African-American men who participated in the study were told that they were receiving free health care from the federal government of the United States. Now, this took place in Macon County, Alabama. Most of the participants were sharecroppers, and about 600 of them were enrolled in this study. 
Now, doctors from the public health service, which was running the study, informed the participants, 399 of them had syphilis, and then there was a control group of 201 who were free of the disease, that they were being treated for bad blood. A term commonly used in the area at the time to refer to a variety of ailments. The men were monitored by health workers, but they were only given placebos, such as aspirin and mineral supplements, despite the fact, y'all, that penicillin became the recommended treatment for syphilis in 1947, which was about 15 years into the study. They had a cure. Now, the public health service researchers, they went ahead and convinced all the local physicians in Macon County to not treat the participants. And instead, the research was done at the Tuskegee Institute, which is now called the Tuskegee University. The school, by the way, was founded in 1881 with Booker T. Washington as its first teacher. Just a historical fact. The start of the Tuskegee syphilis study is most commonly attributed to Dr. Clark. His initial aim was to follow untreated syphilis in a group of black men for about six to eight months and then follow up with a treatment phrase. Isn't that something? So originally it was only supposed to be six to eight months, but it ended up lasting 40 years. Hmm? 40 years. And I mean, from things that I read about it, their money went out, you know, the, the funding ran out for it. They still continued on. They still persevered on with it. Despite that, they were bent on seeing how syphilis affects the body. And, you know, if you don't know about syphilis and how it does affect the body, then you don't understand how inhumane this study was. In the mid-1960s, a public health service venereal disease investigator in San Francisco, his name was uh, Peter Buxton. He found out about this study and expressed his concerns to his superiors that it was unethical. In response, the public health service officials formed a committee. They reviewed the study, but ultimately they decided to continue with it. I mean, it was just black men. I mean, why should we be concerned about what it does to them and their bodies and in their life? I mean, come on, we got to figure out the answer, don't we? These are our human lab rats. We can't stop now. <sighs> they wanted to continue it with the goal of tracking the participants until, listen very carefully, until they all had died, right? I mean, because you gotta be dead in order for us to get your autopsy, right? And this way we can look at your autopsy and we can, you know, analyze the data, right? I mean, it's important to have goals. Well, dissatisfied with the lack of action taken um, about this, you know, unethical study, Buxton, he leaked the story to a reporter friend who passed it on to another reporter. Gene 
Heller of the Associated Press broke the story in 1972, which prompted public outrage and forced the study to finally be shut down. It was finally shut down. But by that time, 28 people had died from syphilis. A hundred more had passed away from related complications. And at least 40 spouses had been diagnosed with it. And the disease had been passed down to 19 children at birth. Now, some of those participants, kings and queens, also went blind. Some of those participants also lost their damn mind. It affected them to that degree. And they were made and allowed to suffer, even though the cure was penicillin. All they needed was some penicillin. You're still asking yourself why Black people are hesitant about vaccinations and immunizations? Hmm. In 1973, Congress held hearings on these experiments. And the following year, the study's surviving participants, along with the heirs of those who died, received a $10 million out-of-court settlement. $10 million? Really? $10 million? I think people sort of get like, you know, excited when they hear million. Because um, like, if you were thinking about I said 600 people participated in the study. Y'all heard me say that, right? So like, think about it. Does $10 million really do anything for you? Now, Congress held hearings. And, you know, like I said, we get some money. And supposedly there are supposed to be new guidelines that were issued to protect human subjects in US government funded research projects. Hmm. So as a result of this experiment, African-Americans developed a lingering deep mistrust of public health officials and vaccines. I mean, hello, hello, of course they did. In part, foster racial healing. President Bill Clinton, issued a 1997 apology stating, quote, the United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. It is not only in remembering that shameful past that we can make amends and repair our nation, but it is in remembering that past that we can build a better present and better future. The final study participant passed away in 2004. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as I continue to read, I uncovered a couple of other things. And I said to myself, my God, my God, my God, you've got to be kidding me. You mean Tuskegee wasn't the only study like this? In 2010, then President Barack Obama and other federal officials, they had to apologize for another US-sponsored experiment, which was conducted in the midst of the same time the Tuskegee experiments were going on. But this time, they were taking place in Guatemala. 
And in that study from 1946 to 48, nearly 700 men, women, prisoners, soldiers, mental patients, listen to this, they were intentionally infected with syphilis. Okay. And hundreds more were exposed to other sexually transmitted diseases as part of the study. And guess what? They kept it a surprise. No one knew that they were being injected with these diseases. Are you still asking yourself why Black people are resistant to vaccinations and immunizations? Hmm? Okay, well, I'll give you some more. The purpose of the study, you guys, was to determine whether penicillin could prevent, not just cure, syphilis infection. Some of those who became infected never received medical treatment. Sound familiar? The results of the study, which took place with the cooperation of the Guatemalan government officials, were never published. The American public health researcher in charge of the project was one Dr. John Cutler. Guess what? Dr. Cutler went on to become a lead researcher in, drumroll please, come on, let me hear it, the Tuskegee experiments. Get out of here. Get out of here. You say what, caller? Following Cutler's death in 2003, historian Susan Reverby uncovered the records of the Guatemala experiments while doing research related to the Tuskegee study. And if that's not enough, you guys, the Terra Holt prison in Indiana. Yeah, yep. They too had a similar experiment there as well. Yup, sure did. And guess what? Dr. John Cutler was involved in that too. Yo, he was like, he was tripping back then, huh? Mm. So yeah, they just decided, you know, I guess people who they felt were just throwaways, you know, I mean, to hell with how this impacted their lives and the lives of their loved ones and the lives of the loved ones that were left behind as a result. You know, we, we're doing research here, people. You know, we're trying to find out things, figure things out. That's what we're doing. And I mean, if it means that it costs your life, I mean, then it, then it just costs you your life, right? Why should we be concerned about that? Now, of course, even with all of this information, I still believe that it is a personal choice for us to decide and to determine whether or not we are going to take the vaccine. We are suffering at a disproportionate rate. And I guess the best thing that we can do is our own research. And like I said, if you have your healthcare provider to really speak with them about your concerns and really just become educated about it all. Now, the other thing uh, with um, this town hall is that you know <clears throat> they were taking questions. So there were a couple of questions that they asked, which I thought would be important to speak to the village about so that, you know, you guys can understand what's happening. So 
somebody wanted to know if there were any medications that you may be on that would get in the way of being vaccinated. Okay. Um, now, again, it's recommended that you speak with your uh, medical professional, but I believe that the answer was blood thinners was one of those medications that if you're on, you definitely want to make sure you're checking before you get yourself vaccinated. Um, you know, for people who were taking, say, for instance, the flu shot. Now, the flu season typically begins in like October. So as we're getting into this part of the year, um, you know, we're getting away from that. But the answer to that question was, if you had taken your flu shot, they recommended that you wait another 14 days before you get vaccinated. Okay. Another question was, does any of the studies show whether or not this vaccine could help other illnesses, such as sickle cell anemia? And this, of course, is something that's indigenous to people of color. The answer was, the vaccine protects you from COVID, okay? Um, any of the underlying conditions that you're predisposed to, um, you know, you can get the vaccine and it may not have as robust a reaction to it as someone who doesn't have the underlying health uh, issues, but they still recommend that you get vaccinated in order to protect yourself, okay? Even if you have an illness that compromises your immune system, the response may not be as robust, again, because of the underlying condition, they still recommend it. So what are some of the examples of these illnesses um, that may be affecting your immune system? Well, you have chronic diseases such as lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, type one diabetes, Medical treatments, like cancer treatments, they too will, will weaken your immune system as they're destroying the cancer cells, okay? And, you know, usually if you have an autoimmune disease, it's actually a good thing if your immune system is suppressed. That's like the desired result. So it can be kind of tricky. You guys have to like ask about it. If you have recently... Um, you know, had an organ or bone marrow transplant, you're more susceptible to infection in the first weeks after bone marrow transplant because you don't have many white blood cells. So if you've had an organ or bone marrow transplant, you also need to continue to take the medication to suppress your immune system. These kinds of medications, also known as anti-rejection drugs and immune suppressants, help your body accept the new cells and prevent the new immune cells from attacking your normal tissues. These are all things where if you're in this scenario, speak to your doctor. Age is another factor. You know, as you get older, you have a higher, uh, you know, likelihood that you could have an underlying condition. You know, um, your immune system may not respond as it once did. So therefore, that's what makes you, um, you know, more vulnerable to the virus than those who are younger. Smoking is another factor. So people who are smokers, they tend to get sicker from infections and <clears throat> smoking impacts the immune system's ability to respond appropriately. With COVID-19 being a respiratory disease, it attacks the nose, the throat and lungs. So in addition to other organs, smoking damages the lungs. So those who smoke may also have, you know, um, some issues, if you will you know, against the virus. 
So those are some of the conditions um, for you to consider uh, as far as that. Now, there were also questions about the vaccine and, um, you know, fertility, wanting to know if, you know, taking um, the vaccine could affect your fertility, uh, what about pregnant women, so forth and so on. Now, Dr. Fauci, he stated that there's no biological reason at all that it should affect your fertility or your ability to breastfeed, but it has not yet been tested on pregnant women, you know, because of the fact that the testing wasn't done on these groups, there's no real information available about that yet. So again, these are things that you want to keep in contact with as far as your doctor is concerned to see how things, you know, um, how things eventually work out. Now, one of the things too, that was important to know is that these different vaccines that came out, Pfizer was the first one. And we know now that Pfizer was the vaccine that had very, very um, special, very strict, um, you know, refrigeration uh, attached to it. And so Pfizer wasn't, or I would say wouldn't be the vaccine that let's say rural areas or island nations would, you know, order because of their challenges with refrigeration. But Moderna and all the subsequent vaccinations that have come out are a little bit more reasonable when it comes to the storage situation so that it makes it easier uh, for them to be, you know, um, taken care of, if you will. They also wanted to make sure that you recognized that whatever the first vaccine is that you got, say you got Moderna, when you go to get your second shot, it also needs to be Moderna. You cannot mix Pfizer with Moderna or Moderna with any of the subsequent vaccines. They must be the same for your first and your second dose. As I mentioned before, there were Black Americans who did participate in the trials, okay? So what they know about it is that when it comes to speaking to Black people, they're not gonna necessarily listen to the government. Gee, I wonder why. Hmm. But they may be more likely to listen to their, um, their faith and community leaders. So that's why you know, they're getting everybody and anybody that they can involved so that we can have this discussion and so that we can allay the fears of, you know, those who are concerned because at the end of the day, we want to do what's best for you. And again, it's your personal choice. Nobody is forcing you to do anything, but just consider everything first before you make your decision. That's all. Even HBCUs and the divine nine have also been involved in this process. And so for those of you who are like the divine nine, what's that? Well, these are nine historically black Greek letter organizations, okay? In these HBCUs that are, you know, taking on the task to talk to their people, spread the word and make sure there's information and education about the, the vaccine. Now, you guys, I'm a try with these names, okay? I'm a try. You could just look it up too, but I'm a try. All right, so I, I don't want nobody getting mad in case I mispronounce anything. I am sensitive to names, so 
please count it to my head and not my heart. So you have Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, which is Cornell University. It was founded in 1906. Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, which was founded in 1908 and at Howard University. Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, which was founded in 1911 and that's at Indiana University. Omega Psi Phi Fraternity, also founded in 1911, Howard University. Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, founded in 1913, also Howard University, as well as Phi Beta Sigma, which is a fraternity founded in 1914, Howard University. Theta Phi Beta Sorority, founded in 1920, Howard University. Sigma Gamma Rho, that sorority was founded in 1922 at Butler University. And this is the one, oh, Iota Phi Theta Fraternity. I apologize if I got that wrong. It was founded in 1963, and that was Morgan State Universities. Now, one of the biggest issues is being able to obtain, you know, the vaccine in poorer countries. So that too, besides refrigeration and storage challenges, is something to be considered as well. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, that's, you know, in a nutshell, some of the information that I was able to gather up for you guys, hopefully that'll help you. And like I said, you know, it, you have to take individual accountability and responsibility and make a decision, but make an informed one so that you understand why you're doing or not doing something. Um, you know, because I really think that sometimes we have to overcome our fear to do what's best for us. Trust me, I know. All right. And so we're coming to that point, that point in the show. You guys didn't experience this last week, but I did have it all last season. It's the inspirational story. And I feel like after everything that we just went over, it's needed, right? It's needed. Now, this week's inspirational story is of a familiar person or at least a familiar character a familiar person i don't know you guys let me know what you think it's none other than colonel sanders of kentucky fried chicken back in the day kfc was everything now i can't even look at it but anyway don't don't listen to that let's listen to the story <clears throat> now we always have to, every once in a while, include a real life motivational story. So here it goes. Now his story, Colonel Sanders, it's, it's one of the best known all around, but regardless of whether or not you agree with KFC, you eat it, you don't, it's a great story of resilience and proof that age is nothing but a number, honey. So let's paint the picture in your head. Picture it. Imagine an older man living from social security check to social security check. He's living in a tiny house and he's driving around in a distressed car. You mean a hooty? Oh. At 65 years old, he decided that he had to change his life. And considering what he had to offer, he went with his chicken recipe. Many of his friends and family had complimented his cooking. And so he decided that he was gonna give it his best shot at changing and turning his life around. 
So Arlen Sanders traveled all across the United States trying to sell his chicken recipe. He told restaurant owners that he would give the recipe away for free as long as he was entitled to a small percentage of sales. Unfortunately, Arlen Sanders heard no over a thousand times. Importantly though, he didn't give up. He knew that he had something special and he finally heard a yes. Of course, you know the rest, KFC was born and it remains one of the most successful businesses to date. Like I said, whether you eat it or you don't. The takeaway from the story, beautiful people, is that you should never, ever give up. It's never too late to start doing what you love and want. We're all here for a reason. We all have a purpose, or maybe you have a passion. Whatever it is, live your life to the fullest for you. Make sure you're making your yourself happy, right? But don't give up. Keep your head up and keep fighting. Thank you, Colonel Sanders, for that example, for that inspirational story for this week. Well, kings and queens, we have come to the end of another show. I do hope that the information that I provided will be of help to you. It's always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and I look forward to being with you all again next week. And just remember, God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's another day's.